invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Judges, uh, Judges chapter 16. Really, we'll be looking at, I'll reference back to chapter 15. Uh, Judges is uh, the seventh book in your Bible, beginning at uh, Genesis and going on forward. And if you need a pew Bible, there's one at the end of the pew for you. Uh, to take a look at. We are continuing our series and really coming in after today, believe it or not, just two more weeks in our series through the book of Judges. It's kind of gone by by quickly. And and last week we started uh, looking two weeks at uh, everybody's favorite long-haired Bible bad boy, Samson. And we'll look again today at him. We saw last week in chapters 13 and 14 about Samson's special birth. And his special status as well as a Nazarite, as one set apart to, to God from his birth with uh, his long hair being part of that vow and some other commitments that were particular to his relationship with the Lord. But we saw that as well that despite the, the careful and conscientious uh, nature of his parents regarding him, that the very first thing that must have been heartbreak to them that he did when he took his great strength that God had given him to, to go into the land of the Philistines, the enemies of God's people, the very first thing he did was to set aside that calling from God as quickly as he could. He began a sort of a secret life, if you will, had things that he was sheltering at least from his uh, parents, uh, one of which was a strange incident where he grabbed some honey out of a dead animal carcass, which might just seem kind of disgusting to us, but, uh, but in fact was a breaking of this, this vow that he had for his whole life before the Lord. And obviously just to, to get something to eat, we saw that. We, we saw that he uh, got in a difficult situation with a sort of gambling debt that he had with a riddle that his, uh, his wife had sort of betrayed him about. And, and so he, he had to pay back this debt uh, using some garments. He was a bet over some garments. And the way he did that was through a fit of rage going down and killing a bunch of people just to get their clothing to pay back his gambling debt. And, uh, and then we saw as well his uh, propensity, his interest, uh, the allure for him of the opposite sex and, and how that uh, affected his life as well. So basically with uh, Samson, you have a man who's pretty much ready to set aside his uh, calling from God, his purpose from God for food, anger, romance, for whatever the next sort of desire and motivation that rises up within him is. We also saw, however, that for all Samson's liabilities, he's at least ready, you might say, and able to go fight. And he's in stark contrast to the background of these chapters, which reveals the people of God completely unwilling to fight for their faith, if you will, against the enemies surrounding them. And finally, in all of this, we saw that that God likes to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. And that's true for Samson, we said, and thankfully it's true for me and for you as well. Those are some of the things we saw last week to bring you up to speed on where we are with Samson. For the sake of time, I won't go through reading all of chapter 15, although that's part of what we are sort of trying to cover Today, But we see in chapter 15, again, this interesting saga for the man, Samson. He's finally really engaging the Philistines in fighting. But here, again, the only reason he seems to be doing so is that they've gotten upset and killed 
his wife. Uh, We also see that he tears down at the beginning of chapter 16 these massive gates to this uh, city of Hebron. Uh, But when he does this great feat and displays his strength, he's only recently emerged from the house of a prostitute when he does so. So God indeed is drawing a straight line with a crooked stick. And in fact, as we're going to read uh, verses that would probably be the most familiar to us, if we know anything about judges and anything about one of the judges, it's about Samson and Delilah. We're going to see today that he continues to descend into this situation, uh, putting at stake all his uh, abilities, all his strength. Uh, for his own ego, for his own lust, for whatever you want to, to say. He's a, he's a man who's moving away from the Lord in many ways. And devastation comes upon him. But at the very last moment, he does something that demonstrates not only his strength from the Lord, but is an incredible picture, if we'll have some eyes, some glasses to, to see it, of Christ and of the Savior. To come. So read along with me as I read aloud. Judges 16, we'll start in verse 4. After this, he loved a woman, Samson did, in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Interesting question from your girlfriend. (laughs) Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, Then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they buy me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak like any other man. So Delilah took new new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes with with his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into a web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and pulled away the pen, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? 
You've mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. Then when she pressed him hard and her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak, be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up again, for he's told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her, brought her money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times to shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given us Samson, our enemies, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they Praise their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now, the house was full of men and women. The lords of the Philistines were there on the roof. There were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. And Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the death, so the death whom he killed, the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtoalah in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that conveys to us these stories that are true and that tell us of your redemption and that ultimately point forward to the fullness of our hope and our Redeemer, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid himself down to defeat our enemies, to be our victor and our strength. We pray this all 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if it's still even on TV, but one of the shows that I used to kind of get drawn into when you're flipping through channels, this was 10, probably 12 years ago, was the world's strongest man. You probably remember watching some of the episodes, the the uh, heroes of the show, the competitors all had these Scandinavian names that could barely be pronounced and, and, and they would do incredible feats of strength. I remember watching one where the competition was, you know, these, these guys are huge. Their, their legs are the size of this pulpit. Their arms are the size of my torso. Just impressive, uh, you know, bits of humanity out there. And, and, and they, they had one competition where they had a chain attached on either side to the bumper of cars that were leaning on, on ramps like this on either side. And, and the guy had to hold on to the chain and keep the car, just hold them from, from sliding on back to the right or the left each way. Another uh, episode I remember watching, the, the, the gentleman had to go and take a, a piece of rebar and they had progressively larger rebar, you know, long metal bars that were smaller and bigger and bigger. And they had to see which ones they could bend around their neck and bring the point completely like this. I mean, it's just incredible to watch the, the strength that these guys had. Not a contest for the faint of heart. Well, as we continue to think this week about strength and about a person like Samson and what the lessons from him mean for, for our own lives and how they point us to the Savior, uh, strength really can take a, a lot of forms, can it? Impressive physical strength like that, perhaps mental strength and ability and capacity. Uh, in addition, emotional strength as well as spiritual, all of these things demonstrate strength. And for the world's uh, strongest man competition, at least they were trying to achieve something in their competition in how they used their strength. And in Samson, unfortunately, as I shared from our message last week, and then I gave a brief overview of chapter 15, and we saw in chapter 16 today, he seems to just enjoy using his strength to build his own ego or to impress the ladies. That's about the end goal of how he uses this strength up until the very end of his life. And uh, I'll confess, I'm not sure how productive we might say the world's strongest man uh, show was in their competition, but it, it at least was somewhat productive compared to uh, Samson's strength, which seems to always be destructive. Uh, even at the end, it's sort of destructive, even as it's productive for the purposes of God's people. And all of this, again, we should remember is in the context of this roller coaster that the people of God are on and that we probably each are on individually and might even as a church family be on of uh, of realizing who God is, his rescue, his redemption. We're up at the top of that roller coaster and we celebrate who he is and we want to seek him and want to know him. And then we start to wander away, start to drift, start to pursue other idols and things in our life. And, and we roll down that roller coaster and we, we begin to scream, only it's not the scream of excitement, it's the scream of terror, as we, like perhaps the people in Judges, realize that God's brought some difficulties. God, God's allowed some struggles in our life to cause us to call out to Him. And then He sends this ju- judge 
Several of them, 12 of them we read about in the book of Judges that are like that chain, you know, thunk, 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 you know, pulling the people of God back up. It's this roller coaster. And we see as well that uh, this roller coaster and the message of Judges is really meant to scream to us about, about two things. Two things. One, what does Samson show about us? And what does Samson show about the Savior? We know that he shows something significant because we saw last week Hebrews 11 lists him. This, this guy we just read about and all the crazy things he does is listed among the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. So we know there's something for us to be learning from him. So what does Samson say about us? What does Samson say about the Savior? Another way we might be able to put that main idea is how does God enable us to fight our enemies and how does God defeat our enemies for us? What does God teach us about ourselves through Samson? What does God teach us about the Savior? How does God enable us to face our enemies? How does God defeat our enemies for us? So let's take a look at that in our time we've got today. The first thing we see is really what Samson teaches us about ourselves. Uh, We see in the passage that Samson is this person who has incredible godly, uh, God-given potential in the strength that he can use and the things he can achieve. And he's really, as we said, meant to be a sort of reflector, a contrast against the people of God in Judges that are there during this time who who are not using any strength at all to fight the fight of faith. And it's a reminder for us that Samson points to us and challenges us with how we avail ourselves of the strength that God gives, spiritual strength, I guess it would be for most of us, to battle against the enemies that God's given us, the world, the flesh, the devil, those things that come into our lives. And let's take a look at this a little more closely. If we look at the first 20 verses or so we read, we, we see that uh, not only is, is Samson failing to fight the enemy, Samson's sleeping with the enemy. He's with Delilah in some form or fashion. They've obviously got some type of deep relationship because he's willing to, to eventually give up this key information about his ability. Uh, one commentator put it this way. I thought this was interesting. At about 20 years of age, this person says, we'd like to believe that Samson was finally preparing to assume his role as the leader of God's people. We'd like to think he was putting the final touches on his plan to rally the Israelites against the Philistines. We'd really like to think he entered enemy territory in order to gather intelligence. However, it appears he was only there to check out the babes. It seems that way, doesn't it? Of course, there's nothing inherently wrong, I guess we would say, with uh, Samson's interest in the opposite sex. The, the problem is that it leads him to lay aside who he is before the Lord in a way that he's not able to do what God wants him to do and who God's called him to be. Uh, so, too, for us, with the things that are powerful drives powerful uh, idols in our lives. We've talked about them uh, several weeks ago as we looked at judges, but uh, approval is a big one for us. Nothing wrong with having people like you to some degree. But boy, that thing can become something we serve at any cost. 
got to have somebody approve me in this relationship or got to have somebody approve me to the point of where I'm not really willing to live out my faith and I'll cave in to whatever they want or whatever they think. Now, the power of pride. We see this placed all throughout here. I mean, Samson's playing this little game with this thing that God's given him, this incredible ability, and he's toying with it. You see how he gets progressively closer. He says, hey, these ropes can be put on me. Ah, some other ropes. You know, of course, the ropes have nothing to do with it. It's just a way for him to sort of be bound, and then he breaks free and so forth. But, but then, did you see what he did before he told her about the hair? He said, you know, weave my hair into a web of some sort, some sort of loom, I guess it was. So he starts to inch his way closer. He's getting kicks out of his pride in trying to display his strength. Pride is one of those things that lures us in and can just eat us up inside. Not bad, again, in a sense, to uh, be thankful for gifts or abilities or whatever qualities we have that God has given to us. Nothing wrong with that. But boy, those things can become uh, uh, things that we don't use to serve God and instead just use to serve our own ego. And, of course, we see uh, in our own lives the lure of success and money and those things that are, that, are, that are not bad in themselves, but that have great power, have great influence for us. All of these, as well as the difficulties we see with Samson. So we see him sleeping with the enemy. We see him weakened by the enemy as well. Uh, he's in the midst of what he should realize is a huge battle and a huge struggle. But he's, he's basically asleep at the wheel. He's going to sleep each night and telling, eventually, some key information about who he is. It's a reminder to us, and I, I, I don't I need for you to turn there or look there, but First Peter chapter 5, 8 and 9, which says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Samson's doing the opposite, right? He's dancing around with the devil, if you will. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is another passage that comes to mind as I think about Samson and about our own struggles, how this relates to us. It says there, no temptation has seized you, has seized me, except what is common to man. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. What, what does that mean? It means that although all of us in those places where we feel driven to, to move away from the Lord or to not do what the Lord is truly calling us to do, where we're, we're tempted, we see those drives, those directions coming into our lives, that actually everybody else in the world at different times has dealt with those things. There's no temptation that's coming upon us except what is common. So those things feel like I'm unique. I'm the only person that's wrestling with this uh, challenge with substance addiction. I'm the only person that's wrestling with this uh, sexual temptation of some sort. I'm the only person that's dealing with this eating disorder. Those powerful things seem to come in, but it goes on and it says, again in 1 Corinthians 10, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. We've got to believe that by faith because it doesn't feel like that a lot of times. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Interesting. 
first part of that sounds really good. Give me a way out, God. I just want a way out of my struggle to live the way you call me to and my failures in that. But it says he's going to give us a way out. The way out is he's going to give us strength to stand up under it. So Samson teaches us a lot, and there's much more I'm sure we could uh, learn as we would dwell on him and look at these verses about ourselves. But I want to make sure to allow a few minutes to look at what I actually think is the most important part of the story of Samson. And that is how he points forward to the Savior. Now, let me be clear about this. Samson is a guy who sins. He falls short of God's glory. And he ends up through his own failures, through his own foibles in this situation where he can point to Christ. But nevertheless, he's an incredible Old Testament picture. I'm not sure, you know, next to Isaiah 52 and 53, whether there's even a a sort of more explicit picture in the Old Testament of some of the things we see about Christ in this passage. Look look with me at these verses, uh, verse 20 through 30. What's going on here? Well, it's a, a horribly sad picture. His, his eyes have now been gouged out. He's pushing around this mill, I guess. And the, the Philistines start to have a party, a celebration. And they think it'll be amusing to watch this great fighter for the people of God now weakened. Sounds familiar? To the guards that gathered in front of them, the Lord Jesus Christ, and put mocking robes of a king on him and pressed a crown of thorns down on his head. We'll let Samson entertain us, the Philistines said, just as the guards did with our Savior. It goes on and it tells us that he was positioned there and we we see that the the Philistines are celebrating because they they feel like this great victory has been won just as people celebrated when Jesus went to the cross and felt like this disruptor of the peace, this potential king that would vie for against the Roman authority or this religious leaders that might displace the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. They were all sort of celebrating because it looked like they'd taken care of their problem. So, too, we see with Samson. And then surely it cannot be accidental in God's word that it tells us that Samson, in his now weakened condition, got this servant to help him put one arm out this way and another arm out that way to begin to achieve the victory that he finally achieves, a victory that, in the process, crushed himself, that he bore the, the full brunt of, but that through he was able to actually achieve more than he had achieved with the strength that God had given him and his muscular ability and fighting ability. What a picture. What a picture and a a beautiful one as much as it is a bleak one of what the Savior ultimately does for us. The Savior, of course, is perfectly righteous and doesn't deserve any of what comes upon him. God chooses out of his love for you and for me to put the Savior in that position. Samson's in the position because he's messed up. He's wandered away from the Lord. The Savior uh, is is mocked uh, for all sorts of, of reasons, but his arms, of course, are stretched out by others and nailed 
to that cross. And, and yet it's through what looks like defeat for him, what certainly is crushing death for the Savior, that he brings about life, salvation for you and me. It's a picture of it here for us. May it be an encouragement to us today. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and we thank You for Your Word and the things that it shows us about You, even in places we don't necessarily expect to find them. I like the story of Samson. Father, we, uh, we do pray that You would expose those areas of our life where uh, we reflect Samson in, in the way of wandering away from You. And of not seeking to fulfill the purpose you have for us. Lord, it's not only the things that he did, the visits to the prostitutes or the killing people for the gambling debt or you name it. It's not only what he was doing. It's the fact that in doing that, he wasn't doing what you'd call him to do. And the same is true for us, Lord. And our wandering after ego, after success, after approval, after our... Uh, addictive things in our life, Lord. We, uh, we not only are dishonoring You when we run after those things, but Lord, we're, we're really uh, failing to spend that time, that energy, that effort to love, to serve, to bless, and do all the things You call us to do. So, Father, we pray that we would learn from Samson that way, but ultimately, God, we just pray You really would encourage us today. That uh, we have an ultimate judge in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we mean that in the way the book of Judges means it. A judge that brings salvation. That comes to rescue. And encourage us today with the rescue that you've given to us. Encourage us that you've defeated the enemies we have. Even through your death. And that you've rose again to show your great victory. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.